Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to day 23 of the 7am novelist 50 day writing challenge first draft edition. I'm Michelle Hoover, your host. Um, you'll see that my camera is having some fun things today. I, I feel like I was talking to Davey ahead of time that I kind of have this weird uh, heavenly aura over me. So maybe that's a good thing. Um, anyway, this week we are talking about what you might need in your early pages. And today we're specifically talking about the inciting incident. Um, Rebecca Rowland had an emergency, but we've got Davy Slively with us to help us out. So Davy is an award-winning screenwriter, filmmaker, um, modestly, <laughs> modestly published for, short fiction author and contributor to um, Beyond the Bechdel, a feminist cinema blog. She's alumnus of the AFI's Directing Workshop for Women and Fox Studio Filmmakers Lab and a scholarship winner, winner of the Nostos Screenwriting Retreat and Martha's Vineyard Institute of Creative Writing. She recently graduated from Grub Street's Novel Incubator and is currently revising her first novel and working on a collection of short speculative series. So Davy is a novelist with us, but she also has tons of screenwriting experience. And actually her being in our class was amazing um, because of that past experience. So she's gonna help us out with the inciting incident today. Um, talking about it in terms of novels, but also possibly in screenwriting or, or however that, that, that blurs over. Just as a recap, so yesterday we talked about the unstable ground situation. So again, the unstable ground situation is the opening situation of your novel in which it, the situation is unstable, obviously. So either the character's broken, um, uh, something's wrong with the character, they might not know it. Um, oftentimes they, they, they are incomplete in some way, or maybe they have a misbelief about their life or the world that's keeping them, holding them back. Um, so either that's true or that the world is broken and the world is incomplete. Um, and the latter might be something that some writers are interested in using if they're tired of assigning brokenness or incompleteness, particularly to marginalized characters. Like let's say you're working with a trans character and you're like, you know, enough already. I don't want him to be broken. I want him to be, <laughs> I want him to be the one who's complete where the world is broken because there already is. So. If you're working with that sort of story, there is something called a flat or static arc in which it's the world that's broken and it's the world that's unstable, but the character is complete. Um, and the flat or static arc is something that Charles Portis uh, did in True Grit with his character, Maddie Ross. And you also sometimes see it with other young protagonists um, that they don't quite have the learning curve um, uh, as other characters might, because they're, they're just a little bit pure, maybe they're very precocious, maybe they're smarter. Um, and so that's always kind of a fun story to tell. Um, but again, relating the idea of what we generally think of as the unstable ground situation or the broken character, the incomplete character, the character that needs to learn something. Um, I always like to go back to Henry D James' idea. So Henry James, I I'm paraphrasing this, but he always said, character determines incident, incident reveals character. So what that means is that there's something in the character, some, some character flaw or brokenness or misbelief that actually calls the inciting incident or what happens in the book um, into being, because that's the thing that they needed to be tested for. Um, and I, I repeat the idea that Josh Weil always gave me, I find a character's wound and I poke a stick at it, which is basically a, a, a more fun way to, to put this. But character determines incident. And then on the end of the book, incident reveals characters, how they, how they react to what happens to them. And if they're able to change, because some are not, um, reveals more of who they are. Okay, I'm going to shut up and let Davy get going. Davy, for you, 
What is the inciting incident? How do you think about it? And how do you use it in your work? Well, I actually, just to be obnoxious, would like to talk about or start with um, what it isn't. Excellent. What an inciting incident isn't is an isolated event. And I think um, certainly in the screenwriting world, as both a teacher and a reader of scripts um, for people that make bigger decisions about whether they get made or not, I think that's a common fallacy that people are like, oh, I have to you know, nail this inciting incident, thinking about this has to happen on page 10 to 12 in a screenplay. I don't know what it is in the novel, probably closer to like 20. Maybe. Luckily, in novels, we're not quite speci as right. specific about it. I can't imagine doing screenplays where you have. Oh, to it's awful! And I mean, if you page. if you send your script into you know um, a producer, an agent, which means the intern or their assistant at best, they're gonna open your script. They have a stack. They don't want to, and they're gonna turn to page ten or twelve and see does something happen, and or that's what we're told. I did not do that, but others do that, and I think. You know, people are so worried about that inciting incident being so important, which it is, absolutely. But it isn't a singular thing. And it's exactly what you're talking about, where the, it, the character drives it and the react, you know, the character's behavior reaction creates it. And I think that is the most important thing to consider is that frequently the inciting acc uh, accident, <laughs> there we go. <laughs> right it kind of is, it kind of but is. But it is yeah. sometimes. I think it's a logical logical result of um, the protagonist's own actions. And it does stem from that unstable ground or some unmet desire, something that's wrong in the character's world, or at least not perfect at the very beginning. And uh, I actually took a grub class with Lori Goldstein, who next to you, Michelle, is probably my favorite instructor there so far. I am really like the way she teaches and she's very much uh, a plotter like I am. Yeah. So it, it's helpful. But even if you're not a plotter, I think it's so important to set the stage in those early pages because a, a lot of times pantsers will write, but then, you know, the first 30 pages get tossed because you were just working your way up to finding what your inciting incident really is. And you or the first or the first 130. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, yeah, that. from a screenwriting background, I have a hard enough time stretching things out. Yeah. So um, she says there are actually two inciting incidents. And I like that idea because I had never thought of it as an inciting incident. But usually in the maybe on the first page or in the first couple pages, there's something that happens. And this is the reason the story starts today. Like you were saying yesterday, you know, you don't just look out at a tree and say, I'm going to change my life. Um, I mean, unless maybe the tree is coming after you and <laughs> about to eat you, um, I, which yeah. is actually cool. Um, <laughs> I might write that story. But, um, you know, something happens. And it, again, you're right, it comes from the wound, it comes from the flaw, it comes from whatever an unmet desire, something that isn't quite right in the character's world and something, yes, you poke that wound, something amplifies it. Um, but I think also what's really important is it's usually very in much in tune with what the character is doing. You don't want a, a passive character. Um, an example that I love from uh, Pilar Alessandra's book, The um, Coffee Break Screenwriter, is The Wizard of Oz. And I think it's such a beautiful setup 
because you've got this girl who is at a, in a Kansas farm and she just doesn't, you know, she's always in everyone's way. She just doesn't feel like it's the most exciting life for her. And she wants, she even sings, she wants to go somewhere over the rainbow. And she has this idea of what that would be like, this perfect world, but she's very rebellious. And so at the beginning of the story, she lets her dog run free in the garden of mean Miss Gulch. She didn't have to do that. Her own rebelliousness, her own, you know, obnoxious behavior causes the dog to go into the yard of a woman, get into the garden. The woman yells at him and the dog bites her. And so now that starts the story, really, because now Miss Gulch gets an order to have the dog put down and she's going to take the dog away. But what's really cool about that is, so what does Dorothy do? She did something. There's a cause. There's an effect. Now she's got this problem, but that's not the inciting incident. That's the first inciting incident that's going to cause the later inciting incident. Mm. So now she has to run away because she has to protect her dog. But there's a storm coming outer side. And she knows this. Everyone's been prepping for it. She's been in everyone's way while they're trying to get everything down before the big storm is coming. She runs away and um, meets a uh, fortune teller. And the fortune teller can see she's a teenager running away um, and sneaks a peek in her bag while her eyes are shut and realizes, okay, she's got this farm, she's got this family, whatever. So she describes it and, and he describes it and tells her, you know, oh, I see this woman. He describes her aunt and she's putting her hand over her heart and she's you know really upset and somebody's broken her heart and he's spoken to her because what we do know about this girl she loves her dog she loves her family so everything is motivated by who this character is so she um she's like oh no i she's sick she needs me so <laughs> right before the storm's really about to get bad she runs back home again her own actions based on her own intentions her own character but it's too late she gets there everybody has locked themselves in you know the storm cellar and that's why she gets caught in the storm in her house and gets taken up and thrown over the rainbow and kills a witch and everything goes from there. But I love that because it's not, you know, that is the inciting incident that the house, she flies over the rainbow and lands in Oz and kills a witch that threatens her and, you know, propels the rest of the story. But there isn't a single incident. It's this general building up. Yeah, that's There's interesting. stakes involved with that because we're invested in her love of her dog, her love of her family, what kind of character she is. She has this dream of getting out we're really invested all these things have given us information about who she is and why we should care about her so it's not make this happen on whatever page it's build into something that is almost inevitable in a way based on her own actions yes and what i love what i mean it really when i think about the plotting of that it's just so beautifully done because the two if you call them both inciting incidents so mirror each other um, because they're both the character taking a risk or the character uh, rebelling. Um, and then some, um, the first one we've got the neighbor um, yelling at her, causing her problems, and then she kills the witch. So it, it has this kind of nice parallelism, um, uh, but killing the witch, it, it, which causes her even more trouble. So, so that kind of revenge against the person that caused her trouble to begin with, um, now she's in more trouble. Um, 
And so I oftentimes think of that, and we're going to talk about this tomorrow with Ron McLean, that that's the later inciting incident, and, I, and I've heard this in uh, drama writing circles, it's called the point of attack. Um, mm -hmm. And none of this matters. <laughs> These names don't really matter. Um, and you'll hear writers use different terms all the time for the same things. And so, and, and it's because we're creatives and we're writers and I hope it actually always stays that way. You know, you, we're not working in, uh, we're not doing finance here. Um, <laughs> thank God. <laughs> Though maybe we'd make more money if we did. Um, I would not, but, <laughs> I can't do math. Math and I do not, numbers, you. <laughs> but also the inciting incident is usually, um, I normally think of it as the thing that causes the problem for the character and kind of sets them up for having to do something to fix the problem. Uh, you might then need a separate incident that pushes the character into action because if the initial signing incident might not actually push them into action, it might actually just unsettle their life. Um, and they might be a little lost for a little bit and a little indecisive. Um, and so you, then you need that point of attack um, that moves them forward into the story. And, and basically the Wizard of Oz is such a perfect example because usually a point of attack, once the person, uh, or the second inciting incident, um, once the character crosses that threshold, they can't go back or they're fighting the whole story to go back, which is, which is what she's doing. Um, she's fighting the whole story to go back, but she's not going to be the same person um, by the time she comes back. Um, and in terms of character determines incident, incident reveals character, D Davey so wonderfully articulated how Dorothy's character caused that incident to come about um, and then how she reacts to it. She doesn't just whine and moan and, and, and hang out with the dwarves in Wizard of Oz. She actually tries to do something. Um, munchkins, munchkins. Munchkins, munchkins. No, wait. I knew I was saying that wrong. I knew I was saying that wrong. Um, so excellent. And there are also, so how have you dealt with this in your own work? Well, um, I actually, any story I start, I almost always start in screenplay format, whether I'm going to write fiction or not. And I think it's just because I don't have to get bogged down by all the words. I'm just thinking about the very key things that are important to the story. Just what is my character doing? what is happening as a result of what she's doing? How am I going to reveal that? So I try to keep it very, very streamlined. And for me, the screen uh, play format is just ideal for that because I'm not worried about making it pretty. I'm not worried about the words. I'm really just thinking in the moment watching the movie. But I think also as much as I'm a plotter in that opening thing, and, and that's what I was talking about with pantsers who just write endlessly um, sometimes to get into the story and might, yeah, take anywhere from 50 to 150 pages of, of stuff before they actually start the story. I, I think um, in screenwriting, you almost go the opposite way. You, you really like what starts the story and then you might work backwards from the inciting incident. You might have that idea of, oh, this is what, you know, this is the premise. This is really exciting how do I get here? And I think a lot of that really just comes from doing a lot of character development because mm. you're thinking what's important to know about this character that this inciting incident is actually going to have any kind of resonance. 
So I think doing a lot of character work, you realize, and that's what I thought was so great about Dorothy. You know, we know that her parents and her, you know, well, her family and her dog, she's a very loving, caring person. She will do anything for a friend. She will risk death, which we see later when, you know, she kills the witch, not to save herself, but to save the the scarecrow. Right. Because he's on fire. So she was scared and she wasn't really doing the right thing when she was being selfish, but when she was being generous, it gave her a new courage. So we, if we know this about our character going in, the story is going to dictate itself because we're always going to know her motivations. Yeah. So I think for the inciting incident and really for anything in the story, it's all about figuring out who the character is, every level, the flaws, the strengths, the unmet desires. Um, it's really important. Yeah, and I think I saw that in your process of writing your book, um, because I think you did have that inciting incident, but then you needed to go back, and Davy is such a workhorse. I mean, she just was so incredible. You probably get a sense of it here as she's talking, but so she would go back and, and just kick herself to get Neil um, down, right, in order for him to, to be... I don't know, worthy of the inciting incident or a cause of the inciting incident. Yeah. So thinking about wh what is the first spark of your novel, but then you might have to go backwards in order to figure that stuff out. That doesn't necessarily mean that's the beginning of your novel. Yeah. Right. And that's why I think, as you know, to the incubator, I think I wrote like four different novels during the course of all the workshops. And unfortunately, I've written like two more since then as I'm revising. It's just my process. I'm, I'm Matt Bell, but like, to the nth degree, because I, I just start from scratch again and again until I feel like I'm there. And I finally feel like I did, but it really did come down to the right inciting incident. I have a brand new one um, since I left the incubator, but I finally hit the right one. But what it was always about was the lack of being connected with the motivations. I was more into my secondary character than my protagonist. Yes, you and were. So yeah. I was trying to facilitate everything around her because she's more fun and I had to make him more fun yeah. so I could write him. And so when I finally found this new way into his character and changed his occupation and realized, oh, now I like this character. And I think that's important too, whether they're likable or not, you have to like them as the writer. You have Be to- interested in them fascinated yeah, by them you really yeah. have to get to know them um or if you're not invested in them then it's going to be hard to have anyone else invest in them because you're not going you're going to be more methodical and I think that was the problem I, I'm very good at being methodical because I've for years gotten studio notes and you just have to do what they say that's the industry which is why I'm really embracing fiction now because I, I don't like that that's not yeah really that's counterintuitive to art in my opinion but at the same time you really really need to understand to get a more organic feel you have to get to know your character to know would they actually do this if you keep your eye on the motivation why would they say this why would they do this what is driving them in every moment it'll kind of start to write itself yeah and but as you were talking about being open to that discovery because you kept trying to go at it and go out and go at it. And that that's, that's the work of a real pro. Um, someone that is constantly paying attention to what's happening on the page. Is this working or is this not working? And, you know, you came up with a, a great inciting incident, but then you discovered, well, oh, wait, 
this, I've been digging into my character this whole time, but I have the wrong inciting incident. So just being awake to what is happening on the page and, and open to making those changes, it can be really hard um, to be open to that. Uh, Julie in the chat says, how do you know when you hit the right inciting incident? I'll let you know when I find out. No, um, <laughs> it, I think for me, it's when it starts to feel really right and I don't get stuck. Like what's been interesting with all these different versions of this draft I've done is I'm going along. I love it. I love it. Right after the incubator and news and talking to agents and stuff, I found the one. I was sure I had it. And I loved my first act. That's like the first time I could say that about it. I'm like, oh, I love this first act. And then I hit a block, a wall, and I'm like, why? And I was trying to make things work. And I realized, oh no, it's still the wrong inciting incident. Sometimes yeah. for me, um, it's easier in a screenplay. You can just get away with so much more in a screenplay. And I think that's what's been hard for me with fiction is I have to get inside the character's head. I don't just hand it off to an actor um, to yeah. you know, clean up. And, and if you look at, film versions of books you can um frequently well that's a bad example but if you look at movies you can frequently enjoy a movie or a show and then after the fact this just happened to me with only murders in the building i just finished it and i was so engaged for it but then afterwards all the problems started coming in my head i'm like wait a minute, that character, how did that character know that? That character shouldn't have known that. But you you don't yeah. care in a film. Most of us don't put that level of thinking into it. You're not in the character's head. You're just watching and you're consuming. And if the momentum's there and there's enough logic, you're going to forget it. But in a book, you can't do that. And so that's- and maybe, and maybe I read that series like a book because I was like, this isn't working for me. <laughs> I just <laughs> well, couldn't keep going. Yeah. Yeah, um, Julie, um, I, Julie, another way to think about it maybe is, so how do you hit the right incident? So as, as Davey is talking about continuing to explore and you might later as you continue to write realize, oh shoot, I have the wrong inciting incident. But the inciting incident should be something that speaks to your character more than it would speak to any other character that undermines your character, that creates a problem for your specific character and their neuroses, their flaws, their past experiences, their misbeliefs, all their hangups, hang that causes a problem to that specific character more than it would cause a problem to their buddy um, or to their girlfriend or to anybody else. Um, and so that's why the, the tie between the character and incident is so close. You are writing about that particular person for a very particular reason. And you're putting them through the paces in a very certain way um, because of their own past experiences and their past wounds um, and their misbeliefs. So, so having that echo is really important. I think about um, one of my favorite novels is um, called The Orchard by Amanda Copeland. And we keep awaiting for another novel from hers, but um, the opening is um, you've got a man who's who's lived alone most of his life. He he runs an orchard. Um, he's very isolated. When he was young, his mother brought him and his sister to this place, to this orchard. Um, and then his mother died, and it was just him and his sister. And one day, when his when they were both teenagers, his sister shows up in a blue dress, a new blue dress. Now they're in the middle of nowhere. Where does she get a new blue dress? And she has a new bonnet too. And he doesn't ask her about it because that's not really the relationship they have. Um, but he's startled by it. And then the next day she's missing, she's gone. 
Um, and all they find of her is her bonnet is hanging like on a tree limb in the forest. Um, and so that is his past wound. It, it sets up his entire life. It keeps him isolated and kind of yearning for his sister and staying in this orchard for decades after that. So, but the, the present day story begins when he is selling his apples in town and he meets two young girls who are both pregnant. Um, and, and he sees them and they try to steal apples from him. And they later show up at his orchard begging from him. Now, he decides that he has to help these young girls. They're, they're, they're too young to be pregnant. They're sisters. They're obviously lost. They're obviously starving to death. But notice that for him, there's no way he can turn his back on these two girls because they are his sister come back. Um, and so that, it, 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 that inciting incident speaks to him and his loss and how he, he wants to basically fix his life more than, more than anything else. Um, you also, and maybe David, you can speak to this too. A lot of times the inciting incident occurs before the, the story even begins and we only get it in backstory. Like in, in Amanda Copeland's The Orchard, we actually get a full accounting of that past story in present time. And then we move forward, then we flash forward in time. Um, <laughs> but again, and we have a, a wonderful dog on the screen. This is fabulous. Um, yes. um, again, um, like in, I think of a Hamlet, the inciting incident is, um that the king has died um and and that that's a problem that undoes everything um in um Hansel and Gretel I talked about yesterday the inciting incident is much more quiet there's been a famine for years but suddenly the famine has gotten worse so it's just something a problem that unsettles the character that forces them to not be able to continue with the status quo um, but it might, as Davy is talking about, and we're going to talk about more tomorrow, it might not be the event that moves them forward into action because they might be a little lost at first. They might not know what to do. Right. Um, Davy, have you thought of, um, like in terms of the placement of these things, the past experience, the wound, the inciting incident, the both inside, how do, how do we place those? How do we put those in our manuscripts or even screenplays? I was having a really hard time with that um, going from a screenplay where it was really easy to tell the story, um, my incubator one, to something that is going to be part of a reveal later, but it happens before the story begins, or at least before we enter the story. And I tried every which way to like, okay, should I actually put it full in? Should I have like little flashbacks throughout? And it really, really was probably one of the biggest things that kept holding me back. And um, I'm not sure uh, how I came upon the solution I did. I just know for me, it's really hard to not have it happen in the story. Um, As a full scene. Yeah, it doesn't have to be chronological per se, but um, right. I, I, I think it's hard to pull that off. I think it's easier in a book. Um, no, that's not even true. It depends on the story. It, it, it's just tough. I think it's just a matter of waiting till it, it feels right and trying a bunch of different things. Um, because yeah, like I thought what you were, you guys were talking about with Hamlet yesterday made sense. Maybe not even thinking of that as an inciting incident, because the minute you use that terminology, really thinking about what gets the story going. And, um, I think maybe that was a setback for me thinking about that 
as an inciting incident, something that happened. And as soon as I really took the focus off that and shifted everything, making it about the story starts today, here's this mini inciting incident that leads to the bigger, you know, Dorothy going over the rainbow um, incident. And as soon as I made the story more present and about that, everything just sort of fell into place. Right. But yeah, I I was thinking more about the question earlier. When do you know you have the right inciting incident? And I just like to start over and over again. I think it's something for me to discuss with a therapist or whatever. But um, I think what it comes down to is if all the pieces, all the main pieces fit together, you might want to play with the order you put them in. But if you actually, you don't have to plot out your entire story, but if you know the beginning you know where they are at the end. And that can change. Um, It's sort of like having a roadmap. You can go on a road trip. If you have a map and you know your destination, you're good to go. You can always take a detour and go see the largest ball of twine or whatever on your way and and, and whatever, because you can always go back to your map. But I think if you have a few key points along the way, you're like, okay, she's going to go over the rainbow. She has to go see the wizard. She's going to meet these three characters. Um, the wizard's only going to help her if she gets the broomstick of the Wicked Witch of the West. Now she has to face the very thing she's trying to get away from. But in the end, she's going to, you know, figure out how to get home and realize there's no place like it. So I think if you had just those little points, um, it's easier to figure out, okay, what's the best order to do that in? And how can I logically get there in a way that makes sense? And then you're not really thinking about it in terms of this is the inciting incident. These are the points. These are just the story things that need to come out. How do I arrange them? Yes, perfect. So really, I mean, think about takeaways here. So even if you're a plotter, if you're a pantser, no matter what, even if you feel like you've plotted out the entire book, because I have students that sometimes say, I'm gonna save myself the nightmare of not having plotted out my entire book. And I'm gonna make sure I get it plotted out right ahead this time, my next book. And it, it still doesn't work because mm-hmm. as Davy's experience, and I, I think this is something, you can do all sorts of plotting in the world, but you, you still have to be awake to what the book is becoming on the page and be willing to adjust, be willing to make major changes. Um, otherwise you're gonna just actually choke the book and you're just, you're just not gonna be able to finish it. Um, and so I love Davy, I absolutely love your process with that. And I think it's, it's a good lesson for everyone. Um, okay, we have to go, but thank you so much Davy, for being thank with you. us. Um, just such fun. a, a great en- energy here. Um, tomorrow we're going to talk more about this idea of the point of attack, whether it actually exists or not. We're going to have Ron McLean, the name of his novel or the name of his uh, short story collection was We Might As Well Light Something on Fire, which I think is the perfect title uh, for a story collection in which we talk about point of attack. So if you support what we're doing, you can please share or follow or rate the 7 a.m. podcast on Substack or other podcast platforms. And you can find our full schedule at 7amnovelist.substack.com. Thank you, everyone. Get to your desk. Get get working on those inciting incidents to get your stories moving. Have a fabulous day. Bye. Found what you lost. Have you lost what you found? Do you really understand how you sift for a love in the sand? Like a leaf inside the wind. And you go where it tells you to go. But you never wonder why there is nothing here at all.